Come on, let's give Jesus another hand clap in the house. Sense his presence right here. Come on, somebody shout Jesus! <laughs> oh, it's good to be home. Are you happy? Fantastic. Well, turn to somebody and say, cheer up, you'll soon be dead. And you may be seated, everybody. Come on, let's give our worship team a fantastic God bless. Come on, give them a big clap. They are awesome. Well, it's great to be home. It's great to see Colwyn still alive and sitting on the front row. Fantastic. Hey, Dale, I think your hair's growing again. Could you just move a bit, mate? The light is bouncing off in my eyes. Anyway, it's fabulous. Idris! Do you know, I believe in miracles, Idris. It's a miracle how that tie goes with that coat. Anyway. <laughs> oh, fabulous. It's great to see you, everybody. I, I, I really want to thank you for all the prayers um, for me and Lila. And uh, I've been traveling uh, all over the place. Just come back from South Africa where I had the privilege of ministering to, uh, to thousands of people there. Pray for me in May. Uh, I've got a busy month in May. I'm preaching in LA and Sydney and Singapore all in one month. And um, have the privilege of, of actually preaching face to face to maybe over 100,000 people. So uh, I really do feel the effect of your, of your prayers. And uh, it's, it's just great. Dave and Faye, you're doing an awesome job, man. They honestly. You know, when we transitioned the church last September, I did have my doubts, you know. Because, you know, Faye says she never checks anything out. She threw Dave out four weeks ago up in Cumbran. He was wandering around. I had to help him. He phoned me, Pastor, something wrong with Faye. Don't worry about it. It passes. It's just a season they go through. Anyway, so... Uh, <laughs> uh, I knew I was... I knew, you know... I, it, it, you know, for 25 years pastoring here, you miss things. Like uh, one, one lady... Um, I went to visit one lady uh, during my pastoral days and... Uh, and uh, she was not in, so being very spiritual, I put a little, a little letter through her letterbox, a little note, uh, Revelation 3.20. I stood at the door and I knocked. It's fabulous, isn't it? Well, the lady was in, uh, but uh, for some reason she didn't come to the door, and she knew where I lived, so she came and put a little, uh, little note through my door. She said, um, Dear Pastor, I knew you were there. She put Genesis 3.10. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. So there's nothing like pastoring, is there? No, there's nothing like it. Fantastic. I, 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 knew, I, I knew I was home uh, when, um, when a lady came up to me. Um, Jane, where's Jane? Give me, a, give me a wave, Jane. She's at the back there. And I remember preaching once and Jane got, uh, got, Jesus touched her legs and she walked up here. And some of you may remember that story. It's wonderful. I knew I was home. She came on to me and said, oh, pastor, I, I, I've started to tithe. I didn't understand about tithing, but I just wanted to say thank you to Jesus. So I gave uh, the tenth of my money, and long story short, three days later, I had a tax rebate that came back from like three years ago. And she said, it's wonderful. But 
she said, I didn't tithe to get Jesus to give me something back, so I, I told him off, she said. She said, no, stop it. Shouldn't be doing that. And she said, I didn't give this money to get something back. Jesus, come on now, behave yourself. <laughs> so you know you're back home when you hear stories like that. Amen. And to see you so healthy and happy and, and uh, you know, there's people. I met somebody this morning. I had to be introduced to them. That's the sign of a f- healthy church when they, they don't know the pastor that used to be here for 25 years, sweating and crying over you and, you know, wanting to murder you sometimes. But it's, it's a sign of a, of a healthy church. And, um, and I remember I was just driving a, a, around uh, yesterday and uh, uh, 25 years ago when the Lord uh, gave me the privilege of working with him to plant this house um, every day for, I, I don't know how long, maybe for, for many months, I used to drive around uh, the, the, the motorway and the ring road of Newport, 7.2 miles. And I used to pray in tongues all the way around, um, believing that God would set up a wonderful, healthy, influential church in Newport. And, you know, uh, I'm so blessed to see you this morning. Don't give up on your praying. Uh, just keep on praying. Something uh, may take a while to come to fruition, but just keep on praying. Why don't we give Jesus another hand clap in the house right here? Are you ready for the word of God this morning? Well, get your knife and fork out. Because I, I want to talk to you about seven steps to a successful circumcision. Pastor Dave said he wanted to see who's really committed here. I said, Dave, listen now, that's a little bit heavy, bro. That's a little bit up front. So I've changed, if you don't mind, Dave, I've changed the subject this morning. And um, um, I want to talk to you this morning about the protocol of grace. Um, Protocol is something that affects uh, every area of our life. If you're a golfer, there are There's a protocol to the way that you play the game of golf. And some of you may have heard this before, but I was thinking about the whole concept of the protocol of grace. And um, uh, I remember some years ago, uh, I I joined the Celtic Manor uh, to to play golf there. And um, the owners of the Celtic Manor were hosting um, a day for Prince Charles. It was a special day. Uh, promoting his, his trust, the prince's trust. So they had a special golf day, and they rang me up, and they said, Pastor Ray, or they used to call me Reverend then, um, you should call me Reverend when you see me after the meeting, please, respect, come on. And so uh, they, said, uh, they said, Reverend, um, look, Prince Charles is coming down here, and um, uh, would you, uh, he, he, you know, there's a big banquet, and uh, he wants to meet, like, just 30 people privately, um, just to say hi and stuff. So would you represent the club? So I said, wow, I'm honored, certainly. So we get up into this little room at the Celtic Manor and everybody has security all the way up the corridors. And then uh, I'm in this room with 30 people. And then Princess Charles's aide walks into the room to explain to us about the protocol. So he came in and he said, um, well, hello, everybody. He was from Merthyr. Uh, well, hello, 
Hello, hello, hello, everybody. Uh, the, the, the prince will be in in approximately one minute and 25 seconds. We would like you just to meet in little small groups and talk casually. Uh, if the prince approaches you uh, to talk to you, uh, please do not extend your hand to him before he extends his hand to you. Uh, if, he, if, if, he, if he talks to you, you can address him as Your Highness. If he speaks to you a second time, you can talk to him. I want you to stop him on. Now start again, will you please? And uh, if he talks to you again, you can uh, uh, refer to him as Sir. Uh, please don't bow, just nod your head because of the closeness of the vicinity of the prince. Uh, and so uh, just meet now, please find somebody to talk to. And he went out of the room. Now I'm thinking, anyway, so I turned around to find somebody to talk to. And I ended up talking to, to five Korean businessmen because they were the same height as me. That's why I picked them. <laughs> and they couldn't speak English. So I'm now, because I get locked into the moment, okay? So I'm talking to these five Korean businessmen. I am a preacher. <laughs> I'm trying to go, what? And they were doing all this. And I'm going, I preach. So they're doing all this. And then in the middle of this deep conversation, I'm trying to communicate with another culture here. There was a tap on my shoulder, your Royal Highness, the Reverend Bever. So I turn in around, and he's there, okay? <laughs> you can pick up CNN on him. Listen now, he's there, he's there, he's there, and I forget, I forget the, what, the, bow. so this is how I greeted him. <laughs> I, went, I went like that. Because I, I forgot, you know, the protocol, I forgot the protocol. <laughs> now, the thing is that they're used to that, aren't they? So I got five Korean businessmen going, hey, hey, <laughs> So it's the prince standing in front of me, and, going, <laughs> and I got these behind me going, <laughs> He looked at me, he looked at me, and he went, I walked away. Just walked away. And they're still doing it. Great, yeah, guys, shut up. Yep. And, I, and he's walking out. And I think to myself, I got the protocol wrong. And so the reason I didn't get a favorable response was because I messed up the protocol. And when I travel around the world and preach to the body of Christ, and I see so many believers who are living way be below the, the desire of Jesus when it comes to abundant life. When I, when I travel and I see Christians still battling with condemnation, still battling with stuff they shouldn't be battling with. And the, the answer is very simple. The reason why many of us live below the desired heart of Jesus for abundant life, the reason why many people live with a sense of guilt and unworthiness and always trying to please God and always thinking they're coming short and whatever they do, they can pray, they can fast, they can give, they can go to church, they can be in all the meetings, but still they go home and thinking, does God really love me? 
Am I really pleasing God with this stuff that I'm doing? The reason why many believers live like that is because they stand before God because they always feel they mess up with protocol. When I saw Prince Charles walk away from me, I thought I was so disappointed because I wanted to have a chat with him about things. You know what I mean? And when he walked away, and so many people, so many Christians, the first 15 years of my Christian life were not brilliant. I mean, I would, I would sort of class, t- you know, the first 15 years of my Christian life as, as bittersweet. Even though Jesus had radically changed my life, because I didn't understand and apply the protocol of grace in relating to God, I lived a joyless, unproductive life. You would not want to have been around me the first 15 years of my Christian life. Religious people are not nice people to be around. But if you don't understand the protocol of grace, if you don't understand how to approach God and how to walk with God based on his his grace alone, then you'll end up being a religious, pharisaical, judgmental person that people don't want to be around. And you know what? You even hate your own company. You don't like being on your own. Because the same judgmental, critical spirit that religion forms in you to judge others, that's the way you judge yourself. Now there are so many Christians walking around hating themselves. They don't like themselves. And the answer is simple. You know, I'm thinking, man, how could I mess up in such an important situation? And there are so many Christians who feel that they're always messing up with God. And it doesn't matter whether they pray, whether they read their Bible more, they give more. You still live with a sense of guilt and condemnation. And the reason is very simple. You see, I always felt... In the early days of my Christian life, because I didn't understand the protocol of grace on how to approach God and walk with God, because I didn't understand that, I always felt I had to do my best to please him. But I always felt that it wasn't enough. Come on, there's somebody here this morning here. Now watch this. There are so many people saying, We've got to bring the Ten Commandments back to the church. People will do as they want and they start, you know. Now, listen, the people who teach that have no respect for the Ten Commandments at all. I'm letting this drop in. Because they don't understand the holy purpose of the law. So by telling the church, we've got to bring the law back to the church, what they are showing you is that they have no respect for the law. Because when you respect the holy law of God, the Ten Commandments, then you will understand why God gave them and how they are used and what their purpose is. Come on, somebody say amen here. I was taught to do my best. Oh, you're a Christian now. 
God saved you from all that sin, from all that smoking and drinking, and going to the pictures. <laughs> now you're saved from that, thank God. I used to sit sometimes, you know, in the cinema, terrified because I was taught that if Jesus returned, and I'm watching the good, bad, and the ugly, <laughs> that I'd be left behind. So I used to go to watch Disney movies, but it's all right with that. Now it's crazy. But I was taught that. I was taught, now you've given your life to Jesus, now you've got to do your best to keep the Ten Commandments to stay in connection with him. And there are so many Christians who live like that because that's what's being taught from pulpits. You've got to do your best. You've got to do your best. You see, you've got to do your best to keep the Ten Commandments. Now, as sincere as these teachers were, and I was one of them, they were wrapping me up in the same chains that were enslaving them. And I shared with you last September when we transitioned this house. And you know what? When I come back here and I look, listen to the reports, and you know what? I tell you something. I'm so glad that we are led by the Holy Ghost. Because I'm telling you, in the natural, you would have been stuck with me till I was 90. I, because I love it here. I loved pastoring this house. I would have been here. What do you say then? And Matthews, sort her out, will you, Colwyn, please? My God, where's the leadership in this house? Yeah. Anyway, before I was rudely interrupted by this ex-pole dancer here, listen to me. <laughs> My God. I love that blouse you got on there, love. You look like a hanging basket. Anyway, listen now. So, listen. Where was I now before Anne rudely interrupted me? What? Can one person speak at a time, please? Nin I was 90 years old. Yes, yeah, I would have been here. I was 90. At a senior moment then. But you see, let me tell you something. The King's Church is not Ray Bevan's church or Dave Edwards' church. It's the King's Church. Come on, let's give the King a big clap in this house right here. And I tell you, those of you that are planted here, I'm telling you, you're, you're sitting in a place. This, this, you're sitting with a group of people that, the, that Jesus planted 26 years ago here. And when Jesus plants something, the devil can do what he wants. But nothing's going to move what God has planted in Newport here. And you are going to go from strength to strength. The love amongst you is going to grow. Numerically, you're going to grow. We're even going to get more people from Pill here. Even the valleys. <laughs> no, but when God, when God called us as a leadership, when we discussed it, when it was a transition... 
And, and, and the Lord Jesus said to me, he said, Ray, because we were transitioning like for years before the actual event. I mean, I, I thought I would be, honestly, I thought I'd be handing over to the church to Dave when he was 64 or something. Because, 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 because sometimes God arranges stuff, you know. It just shows that who's in charge here. When we met together, there were many tears, and are we sure, and da, 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 all this stuff. But I knew I'd heard from God. In the same way I'd heard from God when he told me to plant this house, I'd heard from God to transition. And you know, I'll tell you what it felt like when, when we transitioned, when, when the Lord said, you transition to your son now. It was like, it was like, I tell you what it was like. It was like walking your daughter down the aisle as a father and handing the church over to the care of another. And that's the way it is. It's wonderful. Now on hindsight, after what, four or five months, uh, we can see, my God, no, the wisdom of God is an amazing thing. The doors that have opened for me all over the world especially in Europe, has been amazing. And God said to me, and this would, I was saying all that to say this, he said, Ray, he said, and I've shared this with you before, but I'll say it again. He said, Ray, this morning, when you transitioned, this morning, last September, not only are you setting in a son, but they are sending out a father. And I said, Lord, I just don't want to fill a diary. He says, no, 25 years have been preparation for the rest of your life. These 25, he said, Ray, just like the first 10 years or so were preparation for you to, to, uh, to work with me to plant the church here. So the last 25 years have been preparation for what I'm going to use you to do in the body of Christ. And I shared this with you before, but I, I want to say it again. I, don't, I didn't plan to say this. He said, Ray, I'm going to send you out into my body, into my church, as an abolitionist. He said, the biggest form of slavery on planet Earth right now is in my church. They're worshipping me in chains just like they did under Pharaoh and the taskmasters. And I want to tell you something. When you preach the Ten Commandments to the church and then tell the church you've got to keep the Ten Commandments, do you know what you're doing? Your Bible says you're putting people back into slavery. Paul said to the Galatians, you're going back. Why do you want to go back into slavery to the law? And so as an abolitionist, and I stand in this anointing this morning, wherever I go, when I go to, uh, to Sydney, and when I go to LA, and when I go to Johannesburg, or whatever I go to Switzerland, or whatever I go to Merthyr, it makes no difference. Merthyr is a little bit different than Switzerland, but somebody's got to go there, ladies and gentlemen. That was a joke. Anyway... But this mandate, or this anointing, of an abolitionist and, 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 and God's people for 400 years were raising their hands, worshipping God in chains, and God sent an abolitionist in the form of Moses. Let my people go. And there's a cry, especially across Europe. Christians desperately loving God, wanting to please God, but because they don't understand the protocol of grace, 
because no one has really told them that the protocol to approach God is based on unconditional favor and love alone. And so they still are wrapped up in their chains of performance and their chains and shackles of the treadmill that just brings guilt. Come on, somebody, if you're still here, say amen here. And so when I, when I think back to those days of my young Christian life when I was taught that, well, you've accepted Jesus now, and, uh, you know, you mustn't do this now, and you mustn't do that, and you mustn't do this. I used to hear testimonies, you know, like people would get up, well, praise the Lord, I thank God he saved me. I used to smoke and drink. And I used to go to the cinema, and all the people go, ooh. I used to go to all them parties. Well, they were dancing to Abba and things like that. But now, praise God, I don't do any of them. And I'm looking at him thinking, pretty, pretty boring life we got now then. But nothing wrong with that, guys. But, 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 but if, if, if that's gone, where's the abundant life? That you should be enjoying. So they would give the, and I did it myself, I would give those testaments to say, to show people how I don't do that anymore. Look how holy I am now. And everybody's thinking, you know what I mean? But that's how I used to live. Do you know, that's how Christians, thousands across this planet, still live like that. And I honestly believe that God has raised up this house to raise up and declare that grace shouts louder than the, than the law and the stuff that binds people. Come on, somebody say amen in this house. Come on, give Jesus some praise. God raised us up for that. And I remember thinking back to those days and I remember ask, asking myself the question, you know, is this it? You know, is this it? All those restrictions and taboos associated with following Jesus. And I, I have to admit, I was not living the abundant life that Jesus said I should live. I remember the sadness. I remember the guilt, I've, the guilt and the judgmentalism and the suffocating environment of living with Big Brother. The desperation of trying to stay in fellowship with God. And at the same time, attempting to be perfect to those around me who were obviously in the same law-based prison as I was. Living with comparison. Coming to church to judge. Because that made us feel better. Because we were living under this condemning, restrictive lifestyle of law-based living. 
It, it, it wrapped me up in a prison and I, I didn't like myself. So the only way I could get relief, the only way I could think, well, I'm doing okay, is to judge my holiness against somebody else's holiness. And, well, you don't pray as much as me and you don't read as much as I do. So that gave, come on, somebody, do you understand what I'm saying? And thousands of Christians all over Europe particularly are still living like that. The reason why? We lived such depressingly joyless lifestyles was simply because we were unaware. Now watch this. I've asked David if I don't finish this morning, if I can pick it up next Sunday morning, because I'm here. Hold on. And he said, no, Pastor, I'm preaching. So, so. Oh, yes, you did. Uh, that was crap. Right, listen to this. Listen to this. Oh, fabulous. Are you enjoying this this morning? Are you get something out of this? I mean, for some of us, it's like, it's like revisiting. That's how many of us used to live. Aren't you glad you've been sitting under and being marinated with the gospel of the grace of God? You're so privileged. Really. And I, and I remember back, and, and, and the reason why I, I lived such a depressively joyless lifestyle was simply I was unaware that God had changed the protocol in approaching him, and nobody told me. I was using old covenant protocol to approach a new covenant God. And I want that to sink in. I was using an old covenant protocol. The old covenant protocol was, if my people, in other words, if you don't sort yourselves out, you're getting nothing from me. The old covenant protocol was based on my faithfulness was based on my obedience, was based on how well I lined up to the Ten Commandments. Old Covenant, God says, you know, that's why he instituted the whole system of sacrifice through animals and the temple and the veil. God couldn't be with his people. He had to be hidden in a, he had to hide himself. And they had to go through a ritual once a year with the blood being shed from the high priest and the whole thing simply for God to maintain a relationship. So I was living, I was living out, I was approaching a new covenant God with an old covenant protocol. Are you still here this morning again? I was unaware that God had discontinued a law-based protocol and changed it to a grace-based protocol. So God had changed it from if my people to come here. Bevan translation. Come on, somebody say amen. I remember reading a story about a group of people that were held captive in some dark corner of the planet. And a group of Navy SEALs went to rescue them. And the hostages were huddled in this dark room. 
And the Navy SEALs were fully armed. They had their body armor. They had the masks. They had the guns. They had the whole thing. They found out exactly where they were. They located them. And very, they said, we've got to be in. We've got to be out. So uh, they came to the place. They kicked the door down. And there the hostages were huddled in the room. And a Navy SEAL, fully armed, said, hey, we are Navy SEALs. We've come from America to rescue you. Follow us. Nobody moved. They just huddled in the corner, not sure whether they were friends or enemies because of the stuff they'd been through. And the Navy SEAL said, quickly, we haven't got a lot of time. We've come to rescue you. And they looked at this Navy SEAL fully armed, the body armor, the helmet, the gun, the whole thing. And they stood there shaking. And the Navy SEAL got, they, they got so frustrated. Quick, you've got to get out of here. Then one Navy SEAL, read the situation. So very slowly, he put down his gun. He took off his body armor. He took off all his protective. You'd never know he was a seal until he was down to his normal clothes. And he went over and he just sat down by them, snuggled up to one of them, put his arm around them. He says, hey, my name's John. The President of the United States have sent us over here to get you out of this mess. Now, I'm going to get up and I'm going to walk towards the door. There's a helicopter waiting outside. So when I get up, I'd love you to follow me and I'll take you to safety. So John, the disarmed, disuniformed Navy SEAL got up and he just walked towards the door and one by one, these fearful, untrusting people walked out and they were led to safety. What was the difference? Huh. Same Navy SEAL, different approach. And when you look, the, when you look of, at the God of the Old Testament, it's like looking at a fully armed, fully equipped Navy SEAL. But he did something 2,000 years ago. You see, that kept him distance from his people. But his genius, the genius of salvation, was that he poured himself into a human being called Jesus. He was human, just like that. It was as if God disarmed himself, disrobed himself, came down in a person, and he came up to you where you were. He said, hey, my name is Jesus and I've been sent by the Father to get you out of this prison of fear. Come on, somebody. Come on. Come on! He's just like us! That's the God of the new covenant. But very often, the reason why we are enslaved as Christians is because we don't understand new covenant protocol. We've gone from, if my people, to come boldly before me. Those who told me to do my best, to keep the Ten Commandments as a Christian, as I mentioned, actually have no respect for the law at all. Watch this now. And if you get people coming up to you and say, oh, all this teaching on grace, we've got to bring the Ten Commandments back. They're idiots. Because they don't understand what they're saying. Those who pride themselves on, oh, you shouldn't go to that king's church. Because they preach preaching all that you can do as you like down there. 
feel sorry for them. Because they go home and beat themselves up behind closed doors. Hating themselves. Because they want people to keep the same standard they know they can't keep. The Jews tried it for 1,500 years. And they couldn't do it. The Ten Commandments were not given to us to tell us how to live. They were given to tell us how we couldn't live. Nobody has been able to keep even one commandment for 24-7. There's only one person who was born under the law in order to redeem us from the curse of it. Come on. And his name is Jesus. And he says, hey, hey, what the law could not do because it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his son. And all who believe in him, listen to me, there is now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. That's why... That's why the Apostle Paul got angry with the Galatians. Why are you going? Why are you wanting to go back to chains of the law, of trying to keep the Ten Commandments? You're never going to do it. You know, the law doesn't ask you to do your best. See, this is what those who, who say, oh, you know, don't, don't go to that place because they're just preaching grace. Uh, you know, they, they, they need to preach grace and truth. Now, there's another stupid statement. They think truth is the Ten Commandments. They think, no, oh, grace and truth. Oh, we believe in grace. Yeah, yeah, you believe in, well, we believe in grace. What are you laughing at? Whatever. It's the anointing. It's on me. Anybody who touches that will get healed. I'm telling you now, it's anointing. That's a joke, all right? Did that fall from like the front? Is there anybody under there, Dave? That's what happens when you don't obey leadership. Stay there till you learn your lesson. Anyway, so where was I now? I'm back home. I love it. You put me off and everything. Yeah, or grace. Ah, oh, they come. These, you know, the, the holy ones, you know, who, who, who look down upon people who, who just, just enjoy the grace of God. And they think, they think, oh, they don't, they don't get it. It's grace and truth, brother. Oh, really? Well, in the original, how come that it actually says this, that the law was given by Moses, but grace truth. One word. But grace truth came by Jesus. Hey, listen, truth always falls on the side of grace. Come on, I want you to give praise to Jesus. I mean, this is so exciting. (laughs) Oh, look at the time, my goodness me. All right, I will. Listen now, but not too long. I'm hungry. Anne's making dinner for me today. Well done, Anne. I know. She's going to spike it after what I just told her now. Listen, the law, the law, the law. Listen, this is what the people who teach that they don't understand this. The law doesn't ask you to do your best. The law says be perfect. Or else. 
People who want to bring the Ten Commandments back to the church have no respect for the law. They say, well, do your best to follow the Ten Commandments after you've given your life to Jesus, when in fact the law demands you keep them all. Hey. I mean, the only guy, I mean, Moses broke the whole lot in one go. Anyway, that was a joke, but it went way over your head. Listen to me. They say, do your best to follow the Ten Commandments, when in fact the law demands you keep them all 24-7. And if you don't keep the Ten Commandments 24-7, God's going to beat you up. Judgment will fall and you will be separated from God. That was the law was designed to do. The law grabbed her from the adulterous bed. Interesting that they didn't drag the man to. So they dragged this woman by her hair. And held her up to all the watching people. She was naked. She deserved to be stoned. The law was correct. The law was holy. The law was doing its job. She deserves to be stoned. It shows your nakedness to everybody and drags you through the street to shame you, to say, listen, you cannot be righteous before God. You're you're adulterous. And there it is. That's the job of the law. To show you, to shame you, to show you you can't live like this. You think you can. But here's the wonderful aspect of the law that those who want to bring it back to the church don't understand. And the Lord dragged her through the streets, watch, and threw her down at the feet of grace. Are you here? Watch, this is powerful. Threw her down at the feet of grace. What are you going to do, grace? (laughs) You see, the Bible says that the law is a schoolmaster that brings us to Christ. She, she lay there naked, guilty, didn't raise her head. No one had to tell her she was a sinner. The law had done the job, and there she was, quivering at the fate, face of grace, at the feet of grace, and then grace, with his finger, began to write on the stone slabs. You see, when you see the passion of the Christ, you see him writing in the dust. That's not correct. The place where this incident took place was in Solomon's colonnade where Jesus was teaching and he was standing on stone slabs. The law was standing around. The law had done its job, thrown the guilty sinner down at the feet of grace and now grace takes his finger and writes on the stone slabs. What happened to the law? One by one, law had to back off. Law had to leave. You see, when you're sitting, when you're helpless, when you're trusting at the feet of grace, law has to leave the room. Come on, somebody. And grace wrote, wrote, With a finger, they knew. The only other time God had written with his finger on stone slabs was the Ten Commandments. 
Jesus was writing the Ten Commandments. They understood it. And then he said, anybody match up to this? And one by one, they left. Well, watch this. The beauty of it. The new covenant protocol. And Jesus looks down at this woman and she's expecting the judgment of the law. <clears throat> the Bible says, he stooped down and wrote again. Huh. The first time was to dismiss the law. The second time was to empower her. Because Moses had to cut out a second set, did he not? And where did God put the second set? It wasn't in the front of the people and says, keep this because they would have died. No, the second set was put in a box called the Ark of the Covenant and hidden out of sight and covered by a mercy seat. God says, no longer am I going to relate to you through law, but I've sent my mercy seat. I've sent grace and mercy to you. And he wrote the second time. Then he said to the woman, I don't condemn you. Come on, somebody say amen. The law will condemn you, but grace has set us free. I don't condemn you. And watch this. Now go and sin no more. You see, he didn't say, go sin no more and then come back and see if I don't condemn you. The declaration of grace is there is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. And let me tell you, it is that declaration of grace that will empower you to go and sin no more. Come on, somebody. It is the grace of God that teaches us to say no. Give the Lord another hand clap in the house. I'm nearly through here. I'm nearly through. Dave, can I pick this up next week? Are you okay? We'll pick it up again next week, okay? I'll be here. I'm just going to wrap this up here. This is just the introduction of the introduction here. In fact, the demand of the law is that you keep it perfectly. Do you know what? If you want to live by the Ten Commandments as a Christian, listen, this is what the Bible says. You put yourself under a curse. You actually willingly put yourself under a curse. Galatians 3 verse 10 says, But those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. For the scriptures say, Cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in, the, in God's book of the law. So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For as the scriptures say, watch this, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Just stand with me right now in God's house. If you've received the word of God this morning, give him another clap right here. Come on. Now give him a big, big clap, everybody. Just look at me for a moment. When grace arrives, 
law has to leave. I no longer preach grace a lot. I preach grace alone. Alone. And when grace arrives, law has to leave. And the leadership here, we are very, very careful about who stands on this pulpit here. Paul was so mad with preachers that taught the law that he, he actually got quite rude with them. You know, I have the privilege of preaching for Joseph Prince in May in Singapore. And Joseph, he, has, he hardly has anybody. He really protects the pulpit. Because this is no game here. You know, the whole New Testament, if you, if, you, if you read the New Testament and Paul's anger against hypocrisy, people teaching the law and performance, but he, got, he gave his life for it. He really did. It's a beautiful picture, even with the Apostle Paul, who lived his whole life up to the point of meeting Jesus as a Pharisee. Tried to keep the Ten Commandments. Prided himself on keeping the law. Persecuting. And you know the story. Jesus met him, knocked him off his horse, and he was blinded for three days, and he was led into Damascus. This is wonderful. You see, here's a law-based life, dissolved in a moment. And then he's blinded, and God said, Ananias, go lay hands. And Ananias came and laid hands on Paul, and Paul opened his eyes. Listen, the first person he saw, when he opened his eyes, after being converted from a law-based Pharisee, the first person he saw was Ananias. You know what Ananias' name means? Grace. See, law had to leave the room. You know, when they brought baby Jesus into the temple? And two things, wonderful things happened. It's all in the Bible if you just see it through the eyes of grace. They brought baby Jesus. And Simeon, which means devout and obeying, he represents the law. Simeon saw the baby. What's this? And the law saw the baby. Simeon, who represents the law. Simeon, devout, obeying, represents the law. And the law looked at baby Jesus. And this is what the law said. This is what Simeon said. Now, oh God, I can depart in peace. I've done my job. Watch this in Luke 2. Immediately it says, Immediately, as Simeon left the room, a prophetess called Anna walked in. Come on, you got it. Do you know what Anna means? Grace. Law has to leave when grace arrives. Why are you living wondering about who you are, why you are? Why are you trying to please God just to, you know, Jesus loves you. Do you know the Bible says that Jesus justifies the ungodly? He doesn't justify the godly. He makes ungodly people right with himself because of his sacrifice on the cross. And some of you may feel the most unworthy person to receive Jesus, to live for him. 
join the club. If you knew the truth about Dave Edwards, you wouldn't be here next week. In fact, next week I'm going to tell you some truths about Dave Edwards. That'll make you turn up, won't it? And then we're going to start on Colwyn. My God, please be empty. <laughs> and then for the grand finale, I'm going to tell you the truth about myself. You'll all want to join the Jehovah's Witnesses, I'm telling you now. We are what we are. By the grace of God. You know what? I, I was preaching in, in Cape Town and I saw this van. I saw this van. And it was a cleaning business. And the logo for the business, genius, the logo was, your dirt is our business. When you look at the cross again, do you know what the message of the cross is from God? Your dirt is my business. He took all your dirt, all your sin. He took all the stuff, man. All the stuff, he took it. And he says, the protocol has changed. You don't have to beat yourself up. Do you know what? Listen, oh, even the repentance that he's, even the repentance that you need to turn to God, he actually gives you. It's a gift. There's nothing. It's not humanity cooperating with grace. It's all grace. Right now, I know that the Holy Ghost is giving the gift of repentance to people to turn to Him. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, bow your head. Holy Spirit, thank you for your word today. Thank you for the power of it. And I know there are people here, and they feel like that woman perhaps, exposed, hate themselves, so they try to cover themselves with leaves to present themselves before you. Lord, you know the worst about us. That's why you came to die for us. So I'm asking you, Lord, Holy Spirit, if there's someone here that really wants to start a relationship with you but never thought they could, I'm asking you right now, help them respond. With every head bowed, every eye shut, I'm going to count to three. When I count to three, if you say, Ray, I'm bringing Jesus my dirt. <laughs> I don't want it anymore. I don't want it anymore. He can take it. And I'm just going to thank him for it. And there may be some more dirt in the future, but I know that I'm not going to try and clean up myself. I know that he's going to do it. I just laid his feet. If there's anybody here, say, Ray, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to give my dirt to Jesus. When I count to three, I just want you to raise your right hand. I'll see it and I'll pray. Here we go. One. Come on, it doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been. He's the greatest garbage collector on the planet. Two. And when I count to three, if you want me to pray for you, raise your right hand high and I'll see it. Here we go. Three. Raise it up high. If there's one person, God bless you. Fantastic, mate. Is there another person? Raise your hand up high. I'll see it and I'll pray for you. Is there another one here? Say, Ray, pray for me. I want to give my life to Jesus. Father, thank you for this gentleman. His life will never be the same again. Thank you, Lord. His name is being written in the Lamb's Book of Life as we speak. And we give you praise. Now, everybody, I want you to raise your hands to Jesus. 
And I want you to let all condemnation go once and for all. Come on, let him take your dirt. He's already taken it. You should just thank him, that's all. Stop living with guilt any longer. Stop living with a sense of God's going to judge you. Stop listening to law-based people that says you reap what you sow. Come on, man. Jesus did all the reaping and the sowing on your behalf. You can start again. You can plant good seed out of a bad harvest. It's a miracle. It's, the, it's grace. Father, I thank you for this house. Father, I thank you this house is marinated in your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your kindness. Lord, bless Dave and Faye, Lord, as they lead this house. Father, thank you that the anointing is going to get stronger and stronger and stronger. Thank you for their wonderful, compassionate heart for the people here. Thank you for the families that are going to fill this house. Young children and teenagers and grandparents. Thank you, Lord. This is a family place. It's a place where families can come. It's a place where dysfunctional people come. In fact, we're all dysfunctional. That's why we are here. And we thank you for your grace that has enabled us, forgiven us, and blessed us.